It's time for another QuackCast. The first and award-winning QuackCast. There are two other podcasts out there that go under the name QuackCast, but this is the first, the real, the only one that matters. This is the 90th. I'm getting close to number 100, and it's called Stop Making Sense. No one has ever asked me where I get my ideas. To let you know, I usually rely on the secret. Every once in a while, the universe offers up a little bit of whimsy, and I have a topic for a podcast. However, the universe has failed me. Nothing has crossed my LCD, so I have no studies to evaluate, and I have been unusually busy at work that has prevented my browsing the interwebs for material. But as I learned long ago, just because you have no content doesn't prevent you from producing it. So I do these podcasts half to amuse myself, half to learn about the topic, and half to clarify in my own mind the topic at hand. I always remember that three out of two Americans do not understand statistics. So this week is a content-free idle thought for my own benefit. I have been reading 13 Things That Don't Make Sense by Michael Brooks. The book concerns topics in science that are unexplained by the current understanding of the laws of the universe or contradict the dominant paradigm. Well, almost. His final topic is homeopathy, and it is the one topic whose conclusions, while qualified, belong more on fail blog. The first chapter concerns dark matter and dark energy and how what we see makes up only a fraction of the content of the universe. The author discusses the story behind the discovery of dark matter and dark energy and the theories that attempt to explain the cosmological measurements that demonstrate the existence of dark matter. Besides hypothesizing new kinds of matter, physicists have hypothesized that the problem is not an undiscovered matter, but a lack of understanding of the nature of gravity. He discusses at length the pioneer anomaly, the fact that the Pioneer space probes launched in the 1970s are not following their projected trajectories, and perhaps this is a manifestation of dark matter, dark energy, modified gravity. Evidently it wasn't, for after the book it turned out that the perturbations in the Pioneer trajectory were probably due to the pressure of radiation on the probe. What is striking is the description of the approach to the measurements that led to the hypothesis of dark energy and matter and the pioneer anomaly. The investigators took extreme care in looking for every possible error within known physical parameters rather than looking for new physics to explain the data. The lead investigator of the pioneer anomaly said something to the effect, when you go look for something new, that is what you will see. I do not have the exact quote as I read the book in the audible version. Yes, that's reading, unless you say that the blind feel their books instead of reading it. And the one problem with audible books is that you cannot underline important quotes. That is a striking characteristic of the evaluations of the observations that contradict the known laws of the universe. First, the researchers are meticulous at looking at every possible reason for the anomalous results within known laws. And when they find anomalies, like the paths of stars circling galactic centers that suggest the presence of dark matter, they carefully peat and repeat the measurements to confirm the findings before releasing the results. Physicists are one finicky bunch. 
It is the care with which physicists and astronomers and others in the hard sciences evaluate the natural world that is impressive. They consistently first rely upon basic principles that have centuries of careful observation and experiment to validate their somewhat approximate truth. In the case of the Pioneer Anomaly, there was no new physics to explain the trajectory, although it took, get this, 30 years to find the solution. In the case of stars orbiting the galactic center in the accelerating expansion of the universe, something unexplained is occurring. In both cases, a meticulous comparison to known reality was key to the understanding of the validity of the observed phenomena. They relied on basic principles. The author also notes what happens when investigators evaluate phenomena with pre-existing ideas as to what they should find. I have always used the example of N-rays. N-rays were a form of radiation that were discovered by Blondeau at the turn of the century, the 19th century, not the 20th, and they turned out to be a figment of his imagination, although there were 200 articles written about N-rays. But Brooks uses Percival Lowell as his example. Lowell was an astronomer who was committed to finding a civilization on Mars and as a consequence saw and mapped a complex canal system on the planet. The ability to see what you want to be there, rather than what is actually there, is one of the hallmarks of bad science. Although interestingly, there was an article in Astronomy Magazine that suggests that by the narrow aperture he was using, he was actually inadvertently mapping the vessels in the back of his own eye. It's kind of funny when you read that article. I initially wanted to do an entire podcast on the topic of scientific pareidolia, but besides in-rays and the Mars canals, I could not come up with similar examples. Maybe Freud? The counterexample, the disasters that results from ignoring basic principles and avoiding careful repetition and measurement, was typified by Pons and Fleischmann and the cold fusion debacle. There may be phenomenon not yet dreamt of in our philosophy, but if you're going to discover results that violate the basic laws of the universe, it had best be measured carefully and consistently reproduced. Cold fusion does not meet that criteria. It is quite a contrast with the studies in scam modalities. Most scams, of course, have no basis in known physics or chemistry or physiology or anatomy. Acupuncture, homeopathy, reiki, chiropractic, and their ilk are not based in reality, but in fantasy. I put a lot of weight on the concept of prior plausibility, or what I would call reality bias. And that makes any positive findings in scam studies more likely to error in bias than a true positive. It is clear, particularly well delineated with acupuncture, that these modalities have no effect whatsoever on objective endpoints and only minor effects on subjective endpoints. Increasingly well-designed studies reveal decreasing effects until excellent studies show no effect. Scams are, at their heart, medical in-rays or the Mars canals. Yet in medicine, rather than noting that these studies are based in unreality and repeating careful studies, to help tease out the biases and mistakes that make most scam trials appear to have effectiveness, they apparently open centers of integrated alternative and complementary therapies. It is odd how blind those that practice medicine are to rank nonsense. 
Brooks, in his book, describes the opprobrium that Pons, Fleischmann, and others received for trumpeting their imaginary breakthroughs, although I suspect it was not what they did, but how they did it, bypassing peer review in favor of a press release that led to a pariah status that they now apparently have. Researchers in quackery, rather than exile in France, get to start clinics and institutes. While the collapse of the careers of Pons and Fleischmann et al. are described by Brooks seem a wee bit excessive to me for their crime, the only consequence in medicine of practicing magic appears to be cash. Outside of medicine, careful research confirms or denies our understanding of reality. In medicine, at least with scams to judge from the Brave Roll report, reality is ignored. The last two chapters of the book cover placebo and homeopathy. In the case of placebo, Brooks is a little sloppy at times at differentiating the difference between subjective and objective outcomes. In the example of homeopathy, he focuses on a few anomalous studies that have never been reproduced. And he goes into a long and interesting description on the mysteries of water to wonder about the unknown properties of H2O that could validate homeopathy, all the while admitting that homeopathy is, by current understanding, total nonsense. But as he consistently noted in prior chapters, anomalous studies that can't be reproduced and violate the basic laws of science almost always turn out to be nonsense. Then he ignores the same lessons in his conclusions about homeopathy, basing it a little bit on the popularity of the crowd, how can millions be wrong, and the fact that since other anomalies have led to insights, homeopathy may indeed have something to it. I doubt it. Understanding often advances with anomalous studies that are reproducible and where more mundane explanations consistent with known physical laws are excluded. As Asimov noted, the most exciting phrase to hear in science, the one that heralds new discoveries, is not Eureka, but that's funny. Scams remain funny, but not in the way Asimov suggested. As they stand today, the anomalies of scams are no more than error and bias. If Ionides is correct about real medicine, and I think he is, then this is doubly correct for scam research. Not only are the positive results in most studies not true, but this is doubly so for scams. Instead of learning from past research, marginally positive results of poorly designed studies are seen as proof of efficacy, despite no prior plausibility and the opportunities for error and bias are enormous. And then, you get to charge the ill and vulnerable for the privilege of receiving your nonsense. Astrology is not taught as a subset of astronomy for good reason. There is no alternative aviation, complementary engineering, or integrative firefighting. Medicine is different, and it sometimes saddens me. And that ends the 90th QuackCast. In case you did not know, my iPhone app is now also an Android app, available for a mere $1.29 over on the Android marketplace. And, of course, links to my growing multimedia empire are all available at moremark.squarespace.com. But the most important thing you can do, of course, is go to iTunes and write me glowing reviews to feed my ravenous yet fragile ego. Otherwise, I'll see you for the 91st Quackcast, which I'm going to record as soon as I'm done with this one.